Hey guys, just before we get started, I wanted to kind of put a swear warning because I realize I do in fact swear a lot and I just kind of want to make sure if any kitties are listening that uh, you should probably stop now if unless you're a mature child. And also I'd like to say, uh, sorry mom, <laughs> let's get started with the episode. Hey guys, welcome back to the Long May She Rain podcast. I'm Aiden, I'm your host for this podcast. So, uh, what did I do this week? I know I do these, like, weekly, you know, like, two, bi-weekly? Yeah, that's the word. Bi-weekly roundups, like, every time I start this podcast, but I just think it's nice to let you guys know what's going on with me. I, I know that can be a little annoying, but, like, whatever. Um, I actually got this really cool thing in the mail. For some reason this week, I decided I was going to order a lot of things in the mail. <laughs> and, um, a couple weeks ago, I ordered this, uh, European Royal Family Tree Chart from Useful Charts. You should go check them out on YouTube. This is a informal shout out to them because they're really cool. If you have like any interest in like royal genealogy or like in genealogy in general, this is a great resource um, and it'll probably help me in the future so I can discern how certain royal couples that I do on this show are related. It's really cool. It has like all the royal families like from the Spanish Empire, Portuguese, French, English, Netherlands, some Germans, a little bit of Russia, the Scots. It's it's like really the coolest chart that I've ever had. And I love it so much. It took so long to get here, though. Um, like, um, it was only supposed to take like something like four weeks. And uh, it ended up taking like five and a half weeks, which I didn't mind. I was a little upset about it because I was really excited to get it. But, like, it did take a while. But it's cool, and I'll definitely be ordering from them again because they have a a North and East family tree chart with, like, Norwegian royal family, Romanian, more of the Russians. I just think that's cool. They also have an ancient history family tree one that I really want to get. So that's that's really cool. All right, uh, enough about me. Let's get into the topic at hand today. Uh, today we are discussing Sarah Forbes Bonetta, for this awesome Black History Month episode. Um, I didn't get to do a Black History Month episode last year because I actually hadn't started my podcast yet. I started in April, and that anniversary is coming up, so I hope you guys are excited for an anniversary episode. Um, You probably maybe you've never heard of Sarah, but I luckily have heard of Sarah. I knew about her before I decided I was going to do her for this episode. Um, So she was an African princess uh, who was abducted by an African king and she was kept in captivity for a couple years until she was eventually saved by this dude named Captain Forbes who uh, recognized her intelligence and uh, brought her before Queen Victoria who was like, wow, this kid is very, very smart. I'm going to sponsor your education. And she became like a very prominent person in Victorian society, which I think kind of challenges her expectations about what Victorian society was like. Like it wasn't just all white people. Uh, So I thought she'd be a good topic to uh, do for Black History Month. Um, I originally wanted to do Phyllis Wheatley, but uh, when I was thinking about doing her for Black History Month, I forgot her name. Like I was like, oh, Black poet woman I can't remember her name so I ended up doing Sarah and then I finished her script and then I remembered who Phyllis Wheatley was and by then it was too uh late and my schedule the bi-weekly schedule I run by uh doesn't fall into February after this because February is a very short month um so hopefully I'll be able to do her either next year or maybe I'll do her in the next 
couple of weeks because you know I obviously don't have to limit all my black topics to just black history month um but I'm really excited to talk about Sarah today oh uh just a quick shout out uh so every week I um I send out clues well sorry bi-weekly I send out clues to see if someone can get uh who uh the topic is for this week and technically I've got two winners this week so uh I've, I'd first like to <laughs> shout out uh uh Lee Isla Leila, I'm sorry, Leila Stein. Uh, she got the clues right for the episode. She didn't tell me Sarah's name, She, but she, like, described her properly, so I'm going to give it to her. And I also like to give a shout-out to uh, Caroline Templin, because she actually got the name right. So, uh, good job to you guys. I hope you guys are excited for this episode. Let's get into it. All right, so Sarah was born uh, most likely in 1843. We're not really sure, uh, but we do know she was born modern-day Nigeria. Um, we don't really know anything about her parents, which is unfortunate. We don't even know their names. Uh, but what we can kind of, like, guess is that her parents were uh, likely of high status uh, in her tribe. Um, her dad may have been the chieftain of the egg. Egbado tribe that she was born into, which would technically make her a princess, which I think is very, very cool. Um, obviously, since we can't talk about her birthday, because even she didn't know her birthday, which, you know, sucks, because as you guys know, I really like astrology signs, and I think it kind of makes it easier to get a read on a, a person's personality with an astrology sign, and it's obviously going to be difficult to get a read on Sarah's personality. Um, because most of the things we know about her are from, like, other people and not really from Sarah's, like, own perspective, which is mildly annoying. Um, but before we get into Sarah's life, I actually want to talk about her tribe instead of her astrology sign. Now, uh, the uh, Egbado were, like, really fascinating to read about. I love it when I do, like, these women, like, from cultures that I've never heard of, and it's, it's just so cool. So, uh, Sarah's tried the Egbado. Uh, modernly, uh, they're actually called the Yiwa. I believe I'm pronouncing that right. I'm so sorry if I'm not pronouncing that right. It's spelled uh, Y-E-W-A, so I assume it's a Yiwa, uh, but we'll just call them the Egbado, because that was their name at the time Sarah was born. Uh, now, these people originally came from um, modern-day Benin in Africa, uh, but in the 18th century, they moved to this area in Africa called the Oyo Empire, uh, so their people could take advantage of profits from the slave trade. Uh, they ended up being such an asset to the Oyo Empire that they trusted the Egbado people to protect slave trades routes uh, because uh, the Oyo Empire's uh, trade routes were often uh, raided by other African kingdoms trying to steal slaves because the slave trade was so profitable. Uh, basically, the Egbado were making bank because of this contract with the Oyo Empire, so it was like really good for them. All right, uh, enough about their origins. Let's talk about Egbado culture because, God, it's so cool. Um, here are some of the highlights of what I learned. Uh, the Egbado were fantastic artists. They're very well known for making their sculptures out of a material called terracotta. Uh, they also made bronze um, sculptures and stuff out of soapstone. I believe soapstone is the same thing that that uh, statue in Brazil, Christ the Redeemer, is made out of. I, I feel like I remember reading that somewhere, but that's the same material. Uh, you can see tons of examples of their kind of artwork uh, made out of bronze, terracotta, and soapstone. Um, and I, I think some of their art is very, very beautiful. I Maybe I'll post some pictures of it later because it is really cool. Um, as for food, the Ikbado had several staple dishes, uh, such as this dish called Moin Moin. 
I believe that's how it's pronounced, which is like the steamed bean pudding that like looks really good. I don't even like beans, but it like looks really good. Uh, they also had a dish called akara, uh, which was <laughs> bean cake. They actually had a lot of bean based dishes is what I learned through uh, researching some of their food. Uh, most of their diet consisted of uh, vegetables, uh, but not a lot of meat that I could find, which is interesting. Um, one thing I found kind of fascinating about this tribe was the sacredness of Nate sacredness yes sacredness of names and i think sarah is uh no exception uh obviously she wasn't born with the name sarah that's her very very english name that she was named later and we'll get into why her name was changed later um now the Igbado attached a lot of meaning to birth names like it was very important and they thought uh that people would generally live up to the names they were given such as sarah um her birth name was omomba and mia uh, but Ania is actually her actual name. Uh, they, uh, they believe Omomba was like a, uh, a title, like princess or royalty, which is what, uh, leads most people to believe that her and her parents were some sort of high status people in her tribe. Um, and I think her parents kind of expected her to live up to her noble blood and her actual name, Ania, uh, actually means difficult birth which probably means that her mother, you know, like, struggled to give birth to her, which I, I, I think it's very cool. Um, I, I'd wager that this name was given to her to show that she was, like, a survivor, which I totally agree with, and I, I think we'll kind of explore that as we get into her story. I think you will see a certain amount of resilience and, like, gumption in Sarah that I really like, and I, you know, honestly, I think I'd get along with her. She was, like, pretty cool. Um, and I honestly don't think she gets enough credit for how smart and adaptive she was her whole life. Okay, so time to get into her actual t childhood, now that I filled you on her very, very cool culture. So Sarah probably would have spent most of her early life with her parents in the village of Okay Oden. I'm sorry if I'm pronouncing this wrong. I swear to God, I practice these. Um, I read a report that Sarah mentioned she did have siblings, like when she was asked about her life, uh... She mentioned she did have brothers and sisters. Uh, still, I couldn't find a single thing about them. Um, I hoped she was relatively close with her family in her younger years. Um, the, the problem with a lot of Sarah's early life is that they're relying on her memory. And the problem is she was very young when she was separated from her family. So it's kind of hard to know anything about her. And uh, speaking of her getting separated from her family... Here it comes. Now, when Sarah was five years old, her tribe was at war with the Dahomey tribe. Uh, now, this tribe was basically in rebellion against the Oyo Empire because, uh, and the Egbado, as we've uh, mentioned before, was under Oyo jurisdiction. So they got kind of caught in the crossfire. Um, one thing I do have to say about these Dahomey people, they were absolutely fucking ruthless. Like, you did not want to fuck with these guys. Uh, not to mention, they were very, very famous for being slave raiders. They were one of the African tribes that used to steal from the Oyo uh, to enrich themselves. Um, meanwhile, the Oyo, they participated in slavery specifically so the Europeans wouldn't enslave their people. Which is, like, totally not cool, but, like, it was self-preservation for them, and I kind of get uh, why they did that. And... The Oyo knew that the Dahomey, like, rebellion would, like, mess everything up for their people uh, if the Dahomey were able to collapse the Oyo Empire, which the Dahomey did. They did it very successfully, <laughs> which, you know, sucked for everyone under Oyo jurisdiction, including Sarah's family. Now, after the Oyo Empire actually ended up falling, the 
Egbado people got like brief independence with the Oyo Empire gone, but it didn't really last long when the Dahomey started raiding what was left of the Oyo Empire. And uh, one of uh, the Dahomey slave raids is what basically shifted Sarah's life. Now, the Dahomey came to her village, burned it the fuck down, killed her parents by decapitating decapitating them. I really hope it wasn't in front of her because that would be a lot of trauma. Uh, and took the rest of her village as prisoners. Now, Sarah was most likely the only person in her family to make out of make it out alive. Um, it's kind of hard to know exactly what happened because Sarah was so young. We don't really know much about uh, this slave ride. Um, after this, she and the other prisoners from her village were taken back to the king of the Dahomey, uh, King Gezo's court. Now, luckily for her, unlike most of her village, she was not sold into slavery, which I think also kind of, like, demonstrates that she might have been of uh, high status if, and they didn't want to sell her into slavery. Um, instead, uh, King Gezo kept her at his court, uh, but we're still not 100% sure why. Like I said, possibly noble birth. Um, we also have no idea how she was treated while she was held captive here. Um now, I want to remind everyone, I'm not a historian, I do this for fun, uh, so don't really take any of my hypothesis uh, seriously, but this is kind of like my guess on why she might have been uh, held captive. Uh, obviously, noble blood, uh, but I think she was kind of like a trophy for King Gezo after he uh, conquered the Egbado people, and uh, maybe he might have planned on sacrificing her in one of his ceremonies that I read about. Like, apparently it was very common for him to do that. But one interesting thing I did find out about, about the Dahomey was they were extra famous for having this group of, like, badass elite female warriors. And when I tell you these bitches were badass, I mean they were the Dora Milaje from Black Panther on fucking steroids. They were so cool to read about. Um, and I feel like, like, it maybe would have been cool if, like, like, the king was, like, grooming her to, like, become one of them. It's like, that might have been a thing. Like, he might have, like, tried to marry her because I believe he was married to several of uh, his a group of female warriors. And it was pretty common. I know it's a little crazy to, to think like that, but um, I thought it would be uh, cool if <laughs> she was being groomed for that. And But then we would have a whole different story and we probably wouldn't even know about her. Um... <laughs> I know it's a dumb theory. Uh, still, it would have been pretty cool if that's what happened to her, but, you know, fate had other plans for our dear Sarah. Okay, it's time for the part of the show where I give you guys a little bit of historical context, and today's historical context is about the slave trade by 1850, because it's very important to Sarah's story. So, slavery at this point had been slowly but surely crumbling around the world. Uh, most major European powers had abolished it by 1850. Uh, Britain did it in 1833, Spain did it in 1820, although uh, Spain, they did keep it uh, in a few of their colonies, so it wasn't completely abolished. Uh, France did it in 1847, and by 1850, one of the biggest um, uh, slave receivers, I suppose, uh, Brazil, followed suit. Now, many of these powers had strong abolitionist movements in their country, especially Queen Victoria's husband, Prince Albert. He was very outspoken about banning slavery worldwide, so it became, like, a pretty popular movement by uh, the mid-1800s. Now, uh, because of Prince Albert's, like, very big activism in abolitionist, in the abolitionist movement, uh, Britain started sending out, like, diplomatic missions to, like, certain countries to try and convince anywhere else still involved in the slave trade to stop, which is where a certain Captain Frederick Forbes comes into our story. 
what I was able to find of Captain Forbes is basically fucking nothing. Like, there was basically no information on this man. Uh, but here's what I was able to find on Captain Frederick Forbes. Uh, he came from a family of captains. His whole family was very uh, ingrained in uh, sailing. <laughs> I'm sorry. So it's not really surprising that he became a uh, ship captain too. Uh, captain Forbes was the commander of a ship called the HMS Bonetta. And basically his job was like, he was the slavery priest police. Uh, and his job was to kind of like go around the African coast and stop illegal slave ships whenever he could. And in 1850, the British gov government sent him uh, to have a meeting with King Gezo and hopefully convince him to stop his trading of slaves. Because, as I mentioned, uh, the Dahomey, very big slave traders. Uh, basically, he had to, like, wine and dine Gezo to, like, convince him to stop the slave trade. And that's exactly what Forbes did. He tried really, really hard to get uh, King Gezo to stop. Uh, he presented Gezo with gifts and kind of, like, played to his ego and, like, kind of, like, put him on a pedestal, like, next to Queen Victoria, like, you're great, my queen's great, we can stop slavery, it's, it's great, um, and it was probably while, uh, Captain Forbes was at King Gezo's courts that he might have seen Sarah running around, or maybe in a cage, like I said, we still don't know how she was treated, um, but he probably didn't notice her until, uh, King Gezo, despite all the whining and dining, refused to abolish slavery, um, instead King Gezo was like, hey, you see this little girl over here? Uh, why don't you take her as, like, an apology gift to Queen Victoria? Um, and Captain Forbes was kind of like, ooh, I can't accept a person as a gift. That would kind of be, like, against my whole abolition of slave trade thing. Um, still, he was probably, like, in the mindset that if I don't take her, I might be signing her death warrant. Like, what if he kills her or something for, like, me not saving her? Like, what, what if he sacrifices her like I've heard he does? Uh, and, you know, Frederick Forbes, he was a good guy, so he agreed to accept her as a gift to the British crown. Um, now, at first, Captain Forbes had, like, no plans of taking care of Sarah himself. Um, he accepted her on behalf of Queen Victoria, hoping that Victoria might be interested in sponsoring her. So, um, he took her uh, back with him on his boat to Britain, but something kind of ex unexpected happened on the month-long trip back to Britain. You know, Sarah, she was just so darn adorable and smart that the whole crew just, like, ended up loving her, including Captain Forbes. Um, in his journals, he kind of, like, talks endlessly about how smart she is and how much the crew adored her. And also, she picked up an English, like, ridiculously fast. Like, by the time they landed in Britain, she had a decent grasp of English as if she had been speaking it her whole life. And she could say full sentences without help, which is impressive as hell. Like, I couldn't do that in a month, having never spoken another language, especially English, because English is so hard to learn for non-English speakers. Like, I'd fucking hate myself I, if I didn't speak English naturally. Uh, anyway, uh, Captain Forbes liked her so much that he decided to have her baptized. Uh, he took her to this church missionary school on the way back to Britain, uh, where he had her renamed from her African name, Ania, uh, to the name she is now known by, uh, Sarah Forbes Bonetta. Now, uh, as I said before, Sarah's people valued names, so let's break down her new name, because I thought it would be interesting to talk about it. Now, uh, her name Forbes was obviously given to her by the captain, uh, which 
technically made him her uh, legal guardian. And I think it says a lot about him that he gave her his last name. Like, kind of like, yeah, you're my kid now and stuff. I think it's really cute. Um, a bit about the Forbes surname. It's a Scottish uh, surname. Uh, they even have a special family motto. Uh, it's uh, May Grace Guide Me, which I think is cool. Um, now, her other name, Bonetta, actually comes from the ship that Sarah was on, and the actual meaning of Bonetta is not really that exciting. It's a Spanish word for a type of sail, uh, but I still think it's pretty cool. Um, and her first name, Sarah, actually means princess in Hebrew, which I think is very appropriate for her, considering she was possibly a real African princess. So, good job catching Forbes on the naming and all. Um, now, Sarah landed in England with Captain Forbes, like, about a month after leaving Africa, um, and Captain Forbes immediately wrote to the Queen as soon as they landed uh, to tell her about Sarah and how smart she was and how she just has to meet her. Now, y'all probably uh, know exactly who Queen Victoria is. You know, she was Queen of Great Britain from 1839 to 1901, um, so I don't really think I need to uh, explain anything about Queen Victoria to you. Uh, but one thing she was incredibly interested in was foreign cultures. It's kind of like the one thing I think is really cool about Queen Victoria, even though I don't agree with everything she's ever done. Uh, later in Victoria's life, uh, she really actually made an effort to learn Urdu as Empress of India. Um, she even had a, um, uh, Indian attendant her for the last couple of years of her life, and, like, they were, like, friends. I'll, maybe I'll get into that story some other day when I actually do an episode of Victoria, but anyway. Um, this was kind of a weird interest at the time. A lot of people thought it was weird that Victoria, like, had this such, like, passionate interest for foreign cultures. Still, Victoria was the kind of person who didn't give a shit about what people thought about her. So, when she heard that Captain Forbes had brought back a little African girl, Victoria was like, oh my god, yes, fucking bring her here, I want to meet her. So, on November 9th, 1850, uh, Sarah was presented to the Queen, and uh, thanks to Victoria's diary, we know what she thought of Sarah when they met. Uh, now, I'm gonna read the excerpt to you, however, Victoria does use, use a variation of the N-word in the description of Sarah, which I wrote won't repeat as a white person. I should definitely not be saying that. Uh, but here is the excerpt from Victoria's Diaries. Captain Forbes saved her life by asking for her as a present. She is seven years old, sharp and intelligent, and speaks English. She was dressed as any other girl. When her bonnet was taken off, her little black woolly head and big earrings gave her the true N-type. Basically, she thought Sarah was very cool <laughs> and very interesting. Uh, now, I can't imagine how nervous Sarah must have been throughout this whole process. Like, I I mean, imagine being seven years old, uprooted from Africa, and brought in front of the most powerful woman in the world. <laughs> and you're expected to, like, talk to her. I literally can't imagine what must have been, like, going through her little seven-year-old brain. Um, if I had to meet the queen right now as I am, I probably wouldn't be able to do it. Because I would overthink it and probably mess it up. So props to Sarah for being, like, really cool and, like, making Victoria like her. Now, um, after their first meeting, Victoria agreed to sponsor Sarah's education and upbringing. Um, initially, Sarah was sent to live with Captain, with the captain. And uh, Victoria basically paid for Sarah's living expenses, like clothes and food for her. Um, Sarah made many, many visits to Windsor Castle in her first year in Britain, um, and Sarah and Queen Victoria's daughter Alice actually became, like, really attached to the hip, since they were actually the same age. I believe Alice was also born in 1843, so they had a lot in common. Now, I'm not sure, uh, how much Sarah's presence at, um, 
like with the royal family was like public knowledge. I feel like people knew about Sarah hanging out with the royal family. Uh, but I don't think it was like broadcast like, hey, the Queen of England's goddaughter is like black. And that's probably because of other people still being pretty prejudiced and racist. Uh, and Victoria was, you know, she was less prejudiced and less racist than probably the average person back then. But, you know, she was still the head of uh, the country with people in her government who were incredibly racist. And she was also the queen of one of the biggest global colonial empires in the world. Um so I can kind of understand why, if uh, she wasn't public knowledge, uh, that it was kind of like a casual secret. But it also doesn't make it right, because, like, Sarah deserves to be treated like any other person, right? Now, I'm sure Victoria probably would have actually let Sarah live with the royal family if she could have, but, like, that wasn't a thing that could happen. Now, one thing I want to mention is, like, how proud Captain Forbes was of Sarah. It's, like, so cute. Like, he was basically her father, and it's adorable. Um, I found this excerpt from his diaries uh, talking about how well she was advancing in her basic studies. I mean, just listen to this quote. She's a perfect genius. She now speaks English well and has a great talent for music. She is far in advance of any white child of her age in aptness of learning and strength of mind and affection. Like, oh, this is so freaking cute. I love the character development of him going from wanting to drop her off to the queen and, like, never seeing her again to, like, literally being her dad. Um, so basically, Stan Captain Forbes for clear skin because I love him and Sarah's relationship. Also, I think he was, like, in sore need of a child to raise. I believe, I believe he had a wife, but I don't think they had any children. So, like, I feel like this was, like, something he really needed. It was really hard to find stuff about Captain Forbes' family, but, like, I really enjoyed learning about him and Sarah's relationship and, like, how positive it was. And, like, she definitely needed it. So go Captain Forbes. Okay, I hope you enjoyed uh, Sarah and Captain Forbes being all father-daughter, but that's about to end because sad times. So, um, in May of 1851, after a year of living with Captain Forbes, he ended up unfortunately passing away. Um, he was on his way to this island in, like, the southern Pacific no, sorry, Southern Atlantic. Uh, he was on his way to the island of St. Helene at the behest of his doctor. Uh, by the way, fun fact about St. Helene, this is the same island that Napoleon was exiled on, and apparently it's very, very beautiful there. Now, uh, Captain Forbes had been sick with a fever for a few weeks, so the doctor was like, hey, Freddy, buddy, go drink a smoothie, go get your tan, it'll make you feel better if you go to St. Helene. So he decided to go. He boarded the HMS Tortoise for his vacation, and unfortunately, he never made it to St. Helene. He died on the way. Now, I can't imagine how Sarah must have felt. He was basically her father. Like, she hadn't had a father figure in so long. And he, like, took care of her and, like, genuinely cared about her well-being. He also died so young, too. He was, like, in his mid-30s when he died, which sucks. And even worse, he died of fucking dysentery, which is quite literally a shit way to go. Um, I don't mean to make fun of Captain Forbes for dying of dysentery, but, oh... Um, after Captain Forbes died, uh, Sarah actually developed, uh, a severe cough. Like, she'd always had it, but, like, after his death, it got significantly worse. It was probably a mixture of, like, her grief, probably because she missed him so much, and, um, of, like, the climate change, because, you know, she was from Western Africa, which is pretty subtropical, it's very hot there, and she showed up in England in the winter, which having her probably never having experienced winter probably would have been quite the shift for her lungs uh it also kind of reminds me of like my Pocahontas episode where I thought she like may have died from like all the crappy weather in England as 
as well as a combination of how uh, dirty London is. Um, London in Sarah's time, like, wasn't as bad as when Pocahontas was there, but it still wasn't fantastic. So that probably could have been a contributing factor to her lung issues. Um, in 1852, uh, Victoria decided it would be kind of in Sarah's best interest for her to be sent away to a school in Africa for her health and obviously for her education. But there was also another reason. Now, Victoria, you know, as the queen of a global uh, colonial Christian empire, she was very focused on Christianizing countries and Christianizing people. And she thought Sarah would be a great ambassador to convince Africans to convert. Because after all, you know, she was so happy being a converted Christian and a converted African. Um, now, the school she actually ended up attending was a Freetown missionary school in Sierra Leone. It was called the Annie Walsh Memorial School, which uh, to this day claims to be the oldest all-girls school in sub-Saharan Africa, which is pretty cool. Um, this school was pretty prestigious, very expensive, so it's pretty great that she was able to get an education there. Uh, she would have learned music, dancing, math, science, literature, and a whole bunch of other fancy shit. But, and I say this with big butt, even though the school is very interesting, very prestigious. Uh, the school does have a nasty reputation for suppressing African culture and language, and instead promoted Western ideals as a path to civilization, which is a massive chunk of racist bullshit. Um, I'm not sure how Sarah was treated at the school. Um, I really hope that they weren't mean to her or, like, like nasty to her in general, but uh, based on the fact that a few years later, when she was 12, she begged Queen Victoria to let her come back to Britain because she wasn't happy at the school, I imagine she didn't receive the best uh, treatment uh, at the hands of the Annie Walsh Memorial School, so that sucks. Uh, but luckily, Queen Victoria did agree to let her come back, so she didn't have to stay at that school for an insane amount of time. Now, when Sarah got back to Britain, she was placed with the Schoen family. Uh, they had been former missionaries in Africa, but unlike the Annie Walsh school, they were actually very, very lovely people and treated Sarah very, very well as if she was their own daughter. Um, plus, they had children for Sarah to play with, which she hadn't had before. Um, and Sarah actually grew pretty attached to uh, Annie Schoen who uh, improved Sarah's English and taught her French, and they were pretty much attached at the hip. Um, I found this, like, uh, quote from Annie's diaries about Sarah and, like, what, like, Sarah was getting up to while she lived with them. Here's a quote from Annie's diary. Uh, Queen Victoria gave constant proofs of her kindly interest in her. At midsummer and Christmas seasons, she often went either to Windsor or Osborne to stay in the family of one of the offices of Her Majesty's household and was frequently sent frequently sent for by the queen to see her privately. Um, unfortunately, uh, six years into her stay with Schoen, she was moved into the care of a Mrs. Walsh, who was supposed to oversee her introduction to a polite British society. Uh, but Sarah didn't like this, and because she loved the Showens, They were her family. Uh, not to mention, Mrs. Walsh was kind of a hard-ass compared to the easygoing Showen family, so it must have been pretty off awful. But uh, as Bridgerton has taught us all, um, being respectable in high society is pretty much everything, and scandal can basically ruin a woman's life, especially in this era, uh, because the Victorians were very strict. <laughs> Uh, now, I think uh, Queen Victoria was trying her best to avoid any scandal in Sarah's life and was just trying to make her a respectable, polite Victorian 
English woman. Uh, and once Sarah was like out in society uh, with all her good education, accomplishments, and good lucks, uh, she was pretty well ex- received by the general public, except for the by the press, which really pisses me off. They kind of spent a lot of time belittling her accomplishments most of the time. And there were plenty of opinion pieces about how you know, Sarah challenged the stereotype of dumb Africans and that she was the exception, which was supposed to be a compliment. But it's really just fucking racist, so fuck those guys. Um, now, one of the first major events Sarah attended as being out in society was the wedding of Queen Victoria's daughter. Now, I'm not sure if she attended Queen Victoria's oldest daughter Vicky's wedding or her third kid Alice because I've seen both. Maybe she attended both weddings, but considering Sarah was closer with Alice, I figure it was probably Alice's wedding that she probably attended because they were a lot closer, which was uh, super nice and fancy because if you remember, Alice was the mother of Alexandria Fiodrinov. Fyodorovna, which I've already done an episode on, so if you want to listen to that, you should. Um, and Alice was, like, pretty cool and accepting, so, like, she totally would have let Sarah come. Uh, at this, um, wedding, Sarah would have gotten to, like, mingle with the elite of the elite in Europe, which definitely would be an advantage socially for her, and really for anyone in the British middle class, which is what she was. One second, drink, oh my god. <sighs> anyway, now when Sarah was 19, she made the acquaintance of a certain James Davies, who was a very influential African businessman. And for Sarah, on paper, he was a pretty great match for her, not to mention they had tons in common. James was a member of the same ethnic group as Sarah, just a different tribe. So, yay, they have culture in common. Also, uh, James had been uh, liberated from captivity slash slavery, just like Sarah. He and his parents had been enslaved in Sierra Leone by illegal British slave ships. Uh, And thanks to those uh, slave police like Captain Forbes, James and his parents were freed. Um, And he was able to attend the actual sister school to Sarah's school that she attended. So he also had a fantastic education. Uh, not too long after that, uh, James, uh, served as a teacher at that same school until he decided to enlist in the army. Uh, he did serve for a couple years until he was unfortunately wounded and forced to retire. Um, eventually he settled down in Lagos, Nigeria and started a cocoa plantation. Uh, he, his first marriage was to a Cuban woman who unfortunately died nine months after they were married. So he was a widower at the time. Um, so at this point in his life, James was single and ready to mingle and he was interested in Sarah. But there was a problem. Sarah was not interested in him. Uh, She wanted to marry for love, not money and position. Uh, Not to mention they didn't really know each other very well, and he was actually a whole 15 years older than her, which she also did not like. Um, She actually wrote to Mrs. Schoen, who, by the way, I forgot to mention, she called her mother, which is very cute. Uh, She mentioned to Mrs. Schoen her feelings about James in this letter that I will read to you. Others would say he is a good man, and though you don't care about him now, you will soon learn to love him. That I believe I could never do. I know that the generality of people would say he is rich, and your marrying him would at once make you independent. Independent, And I say, am I to barter my peace of mind for money? No, never. Which I think, I think this little excerpt from this letter is like very telling of Sarah's personality. She's like, what? I'm not just going to marry this guy for the money. I We don't know each other. Like, what... <laughs> how could he be a good husband to me? But, you know, Sarah didn't really have a choice because Victoria was, like, already on board with the match. She thought James was great. 
Uh, and I think anyone could tell you, especially Queen Victoria's children, and I feel like Sarah falls under the bracket of Queen Victoria's children, that if she told you to fucking do something, you fucking did it. No questions asked. So when uh, James eventually proposed to her, she reluctantly accepted his offer, which is, like, kind of awful, but, like, uh, <laughs> I don't really know how I feel about Victoria kind of, like, pressuring her to marry James Davies. Um, on the 14th of August, uh, 1862, Sarah married James Davies, and, oh my god, this wedding was so fucking lit, <gasps> because Victoria paid for the whole thing, uh, so Sarah probably looked great, um, in, like, her wedding dress, which I didn't get a description of, but I'm sure she looked great. I also just realized I never told you what she looked like, why did I skip that in the script? Uh, but to be fair, Sarah's been photographed, you can basically Google what she looks like, uh, there are really pictures of her everywhere. In my opinion, she was stunning. Um, I'll just give you, like, a quick description of her. One thing that's, like, really prominent in her face, she has great cheekbones. Like, her cheekbones could, like, cut me. <laughs> like, she has cheekbones that were sculpted by the gods. So, like, go, Sarah. Oh, no. Sidetracked. I'm sorry. Back to the wedding. Um, <laughs> they were married at, uh, St. Nicholas's Cathedral, which is, like, the cutest little country church. And, uh, shockingly, most of her bridemaids, bridesmaids were actually black women, which was a huge scandal, um, and, uh, the papers talked about it endlessly, uh, which, as I mentioned, they love to rag on her and her accomplishments, which really pisses me off, uh, fuck the papers. <laughs> okay, so now that James and Sarah are married, let's talk about their married life. So, very soon after the wedding, Sarah went with James back to Africa since his whole business was there. Um, first, they lived in Sierra Leone until eventually they moved to Lagos, Nigeria. And James uh, sat, he actually sat on the Lagos uh, City Council for many, many years. And bonus, this was where Sarah was from. So, yay, she's back to where she came from, except she's not enslaved anymore. So, yay. Now, I wish I could tell you what they were like as a married couple, but I don't really have any record of like how they felt towards one each other each other after the wedding. But, you know, here's my theory on it. I think, hopefully, at some point, both James and Sarah, like, grew to respect each other mutually, but I do not believe they were ever in love, um, which I know sounds sad and all, but still, I think it worked for both of them since they were both very busy people in general. Uh, James had his business, and he was a councilman, uh, and while they were married, Sarah was, Sarah was traveling back and forth to England all the time, not to mention she took a job as a teacher for quite a while, so they were both very, very busy. Um, I really hope they didn't really have any time to hate each other, because it would be awful for Sarah if she ended up really not having a good married life with James. I just hope they were cool. Um, I can't find any records of them, like, having any problems or James being a generally bad dude, so my consensus consensus is that they had an okay marriage, which is pretty much better than most arranged marriages ever get, so, you know, good for them. Now, a year after the wedding, it was baby time. Uh, sometime in 1863, probably about in the spring, uh, Sarah gave birth to her first child. It was a little girl, and Sarah decided to name her Victoria after the queen. And Queen Victoria was so happy about this, she invited Sarah and baby Victoria to England so that little Victoria could be christened there and presented to the queen. Uh, at the christening, Queen Victoria uh, officially stood in as the baby's godmother, and she gifted baby Victoria a gold cup, uh, a salver, I'm not sure what that is, a knife and fork and spoon set uh, that were all 
<laughs> in gold, and the cup and the salver were inscribed to Victoria Davies from her godmother, Queen Victoria of Great Britain in Ireland, 1863. Now, I know dishes sound uh, very impractical for a baby, especially gold dishes, but they were super valuable and could be useful for baby Victoria one day for, like, a dowry, or if she just, like, needed some money, she could always sell some of the stuff. So, you know, like, don't hate on the gifts, because, like, Queen Victoria was actually being, like, considerate with gifting little baby Victoria dishes. Um, after baby Victoria, Sarah had two more children. Uh, she had her son, Ar Arthur, in 1871, uh, which I'm glad she got a break in between Victoria and uh, Arthur, and she had her last kid, Stella, in 1873. Um, by far, though, I think little baby uh, Victoria was Sarah's favorite child because they were, were very like-minded. They were very, very similar people. Uh, of course, that doesn't mean she didn't love her other children. I'm sure she did, but I think she just kind of, like, vibed with her oldest daughter the most because they were just so similar in character. Uh, little Victoria was super smart, just like her mom. Also, she inherited, uh, Sarah's cut a bitch cheekbones, so, like, bonus points. Um, for the rest of Sarah's life, she was really focused on raising her children. Uh, she took many, many visits to England to see Queen Victoria, and generally, little baby Victoria came with her. Uh, but it wasn't all great. Now, remember that cough Sarah had when she was a kid? Well, in the late 1870s, it was definitely getting worse than it ever had, and her doctor recommended that she take a trip, uh, take a vacation to, uh, Madir, no, Maid, Madeira? It's an island of Portugal. I'm sorry, I can't pronounce it. Uh, basically, he told her to go there, relax, get better. And if this is all sounding very familiar to a certain Captain Forbes, uh, just you wait. So, Sarah took the doctor's advice and uh, went to the island. Uh, but, unfortunately, she wasn't getting any better. Uh, she was still coughing a lot. So, they asked the doctor on the island to give her a checkup. And they diagnosed Sarah with tuberculosis, uh, which is an awful lung disease. Um, and because of Sarah's cough and, like, she had a generally weak immune system, the tuberculosis was ripping through her and it was basically a death sentence. And unfortunately, on the 15th of August, 1880, Sarah Forbes Bonetta died at the age of 37, which is so crazy young. Um, after her death, so many people mourned her, like, oh my god, especially Queen Victoria, who at the time had actually been expecting a visit from Sarah's daughter, Victoria. Like, Victoria was on her way to England at the, at the time. And when baby Victoria, who is now 17 at the time, made it to England the next day, uh, they mourned her deeply. Like, Victoria and other Victoria loved Sarah so much. Um, I'm not sure how her husband James reacted, but I he seemed to mourn her too. Um, he actually had an eight-foot-tall obelisk built near his cocoa farm in her memory, and uh, you don't do that for someone you don't like. Um, so I imagine they had a decent enough relationship that he would do that for her. Also, when he got remarried, he did it like nine years later, so like, I, I think he can say they were on good enough terms. Uh, and it's, it's really sweet that uh, not only did he wait quite a while to get remarried, that he built that obelisk for her. Um, now, before we get into her legacy, let's talk about what happened to her children. Um, her daughter, Victoria, married a doctor named John Randall and had two children with him. Uh, and she lived her life as a very wealthy African socialite. And she was active in advocating uh, for women's rights her whole life, not to mention Queen Victoria also paid for little Victoria's education. Um, not much on uh, Sarah's son, Arthur. I couldn't really find anything about him after, so we'll just skip him. Um, 
Sarah's daughter Stella never married, but she did have an affair with a Nigerian politician and had one daughter with him. I'm sure it was so scandalous when it happened. Like, I clutched my pearls when I realized that Stella was never married to the guy she had a daughter with. Because, like, I looked at the guy's Wikipedia page and it was, like, spouses and Stella wasn't on there. I was like, why isn't Stella on there? I was like, oh, affair. <laughs> but, like, it's not written down anywhere. That was It was, like, super scandalous. But, like, it happened. So, like, that's interesting. One second, drink. Okay, now let's get into legacy. Um, I think Sarah really challenges what we think of Victorian society and how white it was when in reality, just like Sarah, there were many, many prominent African Victorian era people just like her, especially um, her children and the people they married in Nigeria, all Victorian era socialites. So good for Sarah. Um, I think Sarah's story is awesome. She was, you know, smart, beautiful, resilient, and I definitely think more people should know about her. Um, I hope all the young women of color who listen to this will see themselves in Sarah because she is genuinely extraordinary. Um, thank you all for joining me for my Black History Month episode. I really hope you enjoyed it. I know I had fun recording it. Bye! Hey guys, thanks for listening. If you have any suggestions for topics, you can just DM me on Twitter at LongMayShereign2. The N at the end of rain is replaced with a 2 instead. I'm also available on Apple Podcasts, Spotify, Google Podcasts, Anchor, and like a whole bunch of other stuff. Uh, Don't forget to rate and review this podcast on all those platforms. It really actually does help the show so much and it will help me grow my audience. So I would absolutely appreciate it if you you guys could do that. All right. Uh, bye.